Kindness means we have to expose ourselves as being kind of broken on the journey. And those who may not be people of faith need to see we are wrestling through all of our uncertainties in a way that helps us trust God. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest is the president of Biola University, a Christian Bible college in Los Angeles. Dr. Barry Corey has written a new book titled Love Kindness, and we'll begin talking with him about it in just a few moments. I'm very glad you've joined us for this week's conversation. As we talk with people each week, you may or may not recognize their names, but each guest has a unique story to tell, and I enjoy bringing them to you. For the audio archive of past interviews, go to firstpersoninterview.com and look for our Facebook page on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. As I mentioned, Dr. Barry Corey is the president of Biola in California. The idea of inviting him to join us here on the program came when I was asked to narrate the audio version of his book, Love Kindness. The print version is published by Tyndale, and the audio version is published by Oasis Audio. As I read his book, I knew I wanted to talk with Dr. Corey and learn more about his story, but as we started the conversation, I asked him to first talk about the university. So Biola's name came from back in the day, 1908, as the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, B-I-O-L-A, one of the uh, early and leading schools in Southern California, started as a uh, place where the Bible would be taken seriously, and uh, little did it realize that over the 108-year history, it would go to uh, become a a Bible college, a college, and then in the early 80s, a major comprehensive university. And uh, today, today Biola has 6,200 students, so one of the larger uh, Christian colleges and universities in the country, and and, uh, very uh, progressive in many of its uh, uh, initiatives into new programs, new ideas, global outreaches, uh, but hasn't lost its heart and soul to be Christ-centered and biblically grounded. Yeah. How long have you been on the job as president there? I started uh, nine years ago this summer, uh, Wayne, so came here from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston, where I had been for the previous 16 years. It's got to be a great honor. There's so many good things that are happening that I truly can't take the credit for. Um, Those who have gone before me and the faculty and the board and and the incredible students that are here, 65,000 alumni. It's a great community to be a part of, and I'm trying to be a faithful steward of this generation of leadership that's been entrusted to my care. Love Kindness is the book by Barry Corey, and I want to talk about the message of this book. Uh, The book really is predicated on uh, something your father shared with you, a verse of Scripture. Let's talk about your father. Uh, Tell me about him. Yeah, my father's a small-framed Canadian preacher, um, who did most of his ministry right there in New England and had an incredible ability to reach out and love people in ways that when I was a kid, Wayne, that were incredibly awkward. Um, he would hug the Islamic gas station attendant or reach across the counter to pray with a cobbler fixing his shoes, or one time he had the audacity to hold the Jewish furniture merchant's face in his hand and said, Reuben, I love you, and I wanted to <laughs> run out of the store. And, but it was years later... Um, when I was kind of on a, a road to find myself, I was doing a year-long research stint when I was in graduate school, living in Bangladesh, working uh, for children of the landless poor, and uh, trying to figure so many things out. My father happened to be passing through for just a few days during that year abroad, and we got caught up on lots of things. But this one particular morning, and uh, this is, I know, what you were referring to, Wayne, my father and I went for this walk on 
these fetid streets of Bangladesh and the nation's capital of Dhaka. And as we were walking, he said something to me that for some reason just kind of like locked into my soul. He said, Barry, there's this passage in Matthew 10 where Jesus says to his disciples, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And he said, I don't really fully understand what that means, but this I know, and that is, if I make myself receivable, then people might be able to see the love of God and the grace of Christ through me. And everything started cascading in my mind then and have ever since then. My father died many years ago um, about what does it mean to live the receivable life. And then when I flash back to the Islamic gas station attendant or the Armenian cobbler or the Jewish furniture merchant, it wasn't my father being weird. It was my father being receivable. And that that has so impacted the way in which I'm thinking about not only my own life, but also the life of this university and the life of this rising generation of 6,200 students at Biola University today. How are we living profoundly the receivable life? And that gets to the core of the book and that a synonym to that idea of, of receivable is kindness. So did you really grasp the significance of that right away when your father shared that? I think the Holy Spirit... Um, planted a seed in me um, that took a while to germinate, but I knew that something happened then. It was as if my father traveled halfway around the world to bequeath to me, his only son, this one truth of Matthew 10:40. whoever receives you receives me, Jesus said to his followers, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And actually, if you go to Peabody, Massachusetts today, there's a, a, a little a grave marker right there on Puritan Lawn, cemetery that has my father's name, and right underneath the dash between 1922 and 1998, underneath the dash, it says Matthew 1040. No. Um, he lived his life that way, and, and, um, and something happened when he shared those words to me back in the winter of 1991 um, that have taken root and really were the, um, the genesis of this whole book, Love Kindness. Mm-hmm. So the message love kindness comes from that. That's that's uh, that opened up that verse for me when I when I read that in your book, and I, I really appreciate it. But talk more. We we don't live in a culture of kindness, do we? Um, oftentimes we don't, and I think we're in a culture characterized more and more by fear, by anger, trying to outgun the other side, shake our fists, you know, walk with swagger, whatever it whatever it is, but I, what kindness is, is not niceness. And this is one of the things I argue in the book, that sometimes we think, well, well let's be mean, let's be tough, because that works, and that, you know, we've got this combative, combustible, vitriolic spirit that's going to kind of beat the other side and beat the opponent and win over the day. And, and, and I, I, I don't want to dismiss the culture wars. I think there are a lot of good things that might have come of the culture wars, but this is a different day and age right now. And I think God's Word calls us to what I refer to as a firm center and soft edges. This firm center that we know what we believe in, we have these deep sense of convictions, and soft edges, we're leading with grace and with presence and with relationship and with kindness and building bridges and not building walls. And and we need to get over the fact that, that um, soft edges... Uh, means that we are giving up on our on our strongly held beliefs or becoming soft on our convictions. That's not at all the case. I would say that would be the case for niceness, but you won't find the word nice even in the Bible. 
kindness is everywhere. And kindness, as I argue in this book through lots of stories and real examples and, and really lots of my issues in my own life that are far from savory because it comes back to my own pride or my fear or my double standards, um, all of those are like the antithesis of kindness, that kindness is radical, it's revolutionary. If we really live into it and lean into kindness, we have so much ability to, to change the way things are. But instead, we kind of quickly resort to, you know, putting on steel-toed boots to kick Jesus into our culture, the heresy out of our brother, <laughs> rather than living the life of kindness. Yeah, and it'd be easy for us to point the finger into the political realm and talk about the lack of kindness there. But as you write about in your book, this is something that every one of us has the opportunity to to live this way in whatever arena of life that we're in. We do. And you're right, the political world right now is hardly demonstrating kindness. And it's one thing, I mean, we need to stand up for what we believe. And it's one thing to argue strongly against an idea or an ideology, but we don't beat an idea by beating a person. We beat an idea by beating an idea. And I think too often, kind, I mean, harshness and meanness is, is the quick answer. You know, it, it gets a lot of people's attention. It's, it's, uh, it raises money. Um, people like the, the, the feeling of, of, of getting into a fight over something. Um, but I think that is a short term win and a long-term loss. And I think kindness, on the other hand, may take a while to be noticed. I mean, your kindness may be accepted, your kindness may be rejected, but your kindness will never be forgotten. Hmm. Kindness is that powerful. And I think that too often, even Christians, we mimic what seems to be working and fighting seems to be working. So let's, let's fight and let's stand across the street and shake our fists and furrow our brows and rattle our sabers and yell at how bad the other side is when there's a certain degree of turning our swords into plowshares, even in the, in the way in which we are with each other, and start having relationships um, and listening and being present, and it's the Jesus way. And then the great thing about living the receivable life is that we don't have to worry about if we're going to be received. We may be received, we may not be received, and that's never the point. And so when we live that way, kindness that's what makes kindness so radical. It's easy for me to be kind to somebody when they say thank you, right? When they when they're kind back. It's easy to be kind to the, you know, the lady making my latte uh, at Starbucks or when there's harmony in our family. But it's a lot harder to be kind when there's tension, when there's disagreements, when we have strong feelings at someone else's view on something, whether it be race or politics or sexuality or religion um, is far different than mine. How do we live the kind life then? I've got a couple chapters, uh, Wayne, in the book uh, about how do we live profoundly kind, firm center, soft edges, on one of the most contentious issues of the day, and that's on human sexuality and the sexual orientation discussions. And what does that look like for Christians? And sometimes our kindness is received, and sometimes our kindness is rebuffed. But the object of the receivable life that Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 10, is to make yourself receivable. You may be received and you may be rejected, but that doesn't get us off the hook. Paul says that, and he says, you're the aroma of Christ. Mm -hmm. To some of you, the smell of life, to some of you, the smell of death, but smell like Jesus. 
More of our conversation on biblical kindness with Dr. Barry Corey coming up in a moment here on First Person. This weekly program is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company. Together, we are committed to telling the stories of Christ at work in the nations of the world. FEBC broadcasts the gospel in nearly 50 of those countries, reaching people in over 100 languages, introducing them to God's love and discipling them through God's Word. To learn more about FEBC and its broadcasts, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and click the banner FEBC. That's firstpersoninterview.com. My guest on First Person today is Dr. Barry Corey. He is the president of Biola University in Los Angeles and the author of a new book called Love Kindness. And it was my privilege to narrate the audio edition of the book. And that's why I wanted to talk to you, Barry, because I was moved so deeply in reading your book aloud that I I knew I had to talk to you about the message of what you've done here. So thanks for spending this time with us today. Uh, You say that living a, a life of radical kindness means living authentically. And you, say, you tell so many stories. This message of, of living a life of kindness isn't just a book for you. This is the way that you feel Jesus would have you live, and you're attempting to live, and how he wants all of us to live. Right. Um, that's it. I think kindness is not the buttoned-up life. It's the opened-up life. Um, and, I, and I see that here even at Biola. Every year I take 10 freshman students up to Yosemite, and, and we talk about life, and and they want to see that I've wrestled with issues. They want to see where I've failed. And I just think that leadership needs to be much more open than, than closed, much more honest than, like, programmatic. And that's, I think, one of the issues that, that the world needs to see in us, that, that we have flaws and we don't have everything perfect and we need to listen to each other and Listening to each other's voices does not mean we affirm each other's choices, um, it, it, but it means we be in conversation with each other. And I, I think hypocrisy is one of the impediments, um, one of the great impediments to kindness, because the world is looking to see not are we perfect, but are we genuine, are we real, are we open, are we vulnerable? And, um, and that's, that's what I talk about in the book. I have a story about being on a plane from Chicago to LaGuardia, sitting next to an Orthodox Jew and getting in a conversation with him about law and love and, and getting off that plane after I, you know, actually confronted him on a few things that... <laughs> yeah. that he, he didn't live up to this kindness, uh, did he? No, but then I thought, like, I, I am that religious man, and, and there's so many ways in which, you know, I am demonstrating that you know, I'm the president of a university, and we pray before a meal, or my bumper sticker in my car, but how am I living a way that is not hypocritical to what I believe? And actually, the Lord convicted me in that conversation with that Orthodox Jew about my own stuff, even though I was thinking about his. You tell so many wonderful stories in your book uh, that illustrate the point, and you mentioned earlier being a Red Sox fan coming from New England. Uh, when you took the responsibility on at Biola, your family flew out to California, but you and your son drove to California. Can you tell me some of that story? Yeah, I can. It was a uh, it was an important time in our life um, when our fourteen year old son and I, the rest of the family, they were going to fly because we'd given our van away to missionaries. We had a small car, and five of us and the dog wouldn't fit. 
But I made a deal with Anders, our son. I said, if, if we drive cross-country together, we'll go and see baseball stadiums, major league, minor league, from coast to coast. And, and that story in the book is certainly a story of uh, chronicling a father and a son's cross-country journey with all of the moments of memory that we had on that trip. But more than that, it was a, it was a trip into my own insecurities, leaving a very safe, comfortable New England world where I was known and where I fit in to take on the responsibility of being the president of a major Christian university. And I acknowledge in that chapter that as we drove from east to west, um, my own insecurities about this new chapter in my life began to emerge. And I was wondering, as I looked at my son in the rearview mirror when he was sitting in the back seat reading a book or taking a nap, 14 years old, it was, is this, is this, a calling, or is this a rung on some kind of career ladder? Mm. And I really wrestled through the whole idea of, of what does it mean to, you know, take on a leadership role and, and do so in a way acknowledging my own fears. And a lot of that is exposed on this cross-country road trip, father and son, and humorous moments, and in some really sobering moments, especially when we cross the Colorado River going from Arizona into California in August, and we entered the godforsaken western, I mean, eastern part of California, and all that. I know God's not forsaken. He's everywhere. <laughs> I know so. what you mean. <laughs> but it just was, there was, I mean, and it said, welcome to California, and, and, and my son just started to weep, and he said, turn around, you take me home. Oh. He said, all this talk about father-son road trip, baseball games, and coast-to-coast, coast, he said, you've just uprooted me from everything that I know, my friends and my school and our neighborhood and our little cul-de-sac where we played wiffle ball and and we have to come out here and, and I don't I don't want to do it. And at that point I didn't want to do it. And what does that mean for us to step out into the uncertainties in our life? And it was at that season of my life that I learned a, a great difference, Wayne, between the word certainty and confidence. Certainty means we know what's going to happen next and we don't. Um, and so often as Christians in the middle of uncertainties, we're looking for certainty. What are the real answers? And God doesn't call us to certainty. He calls us to confidence. And there's a world of difference between certainty and confidence. Confidence comes from, comes from the Latin, con with fides faith. We live by faith and not by sight. And God says, in those uncertain times of your life when you are afraid and you don't think you can do it and you feel like you've uprooted your family on this journey that you're going on, whatever that journey might be, don't depend on certainty, but trust in confidence. That's what Paul can say, be confident, be con with it as faith of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And that is, that was the lesson of the cross-country trip with Anders going from, you know, baseball stadium to baseball stadium and eating some great local food along the way. So you had to come to grips uh, with that whole situation. And Anders and the rest of the family are doing great now after these years, right? Yeah, the end of the story is they are doing great. And that lesson of kindness on the cross-country road trip is that kindness means we have to expose ourselves as being kind of broken on the journey. And those who may not be people of faith need to see that we are wrestling through all of our uncertainties in a way that helps us trust God and not just try to figure things out and, and make everything look as if it's all great, because at that point in my life, it wasn't. Yeah. Also, in one of the chapters, you talk about uh, being a rookie president of a university and a pastor coming up to you and saying, if, if I could give you some advice as you start the job, he said, spend more time on what you are than for what you are against. That, that impacted you. 
that is, I think kindness does mean being more concerned for what we are for than what we are against. And that doesn't mean we're, we're not against things. I mean, we are against. We're against pornography and human trafficking and greedy behavior and, and um, you know, narcissistic pride in the highest places of leadership. But the world often says, oh, you're Christians, that means you're, you're, you're anti-gay or, you know, you're anti, you know, abortion, you're, you're against this, and, and those, are, those are fundamental parts of the Christian journey. There's so much that our life as followers of Jesus, and even a place like Bible University, needs to be known by what we are for. We're for this flourishing life, and we're for life from the womb to the grave, and life of the disadvantaged, and life of the religiously persecuted, and life of, 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 of racial reconciliation. And there's so much to celebrate of what we are for, Sometimes we get lost in the, well, we're, we're against this and we're against that. And that, if that is the predominant attitude that we have, then it just seems like we're against everything, and then everything that we see is a, is a punching bag to be hit. Hmm. I would imagine that as president of Biola, uh, and you mentioned this a few moments ago when you mentioned those young men that you take you to Yosemite each year, it has to be uh, just so encouraging to see this generation and to have a, a part in, in seeing this generation come alive. There is, and I, um, that's, I mean, again, at the core of this book is how does, how does this generation live a life of firm center and soft edges? And maybe they saw in their parents or grandparents firm center and hard edges, and maybe their response is, well, I want to relate to people and I want to form relationships and sometimes soft edges can come with a, a spongy center where convictions are, are lost along the way. That's not a good place either. So it's not a middle ground between the two, but it really is a higher ground. That This rising generation of Jesus following, you know, passionate and bright, articulate, thoughtful, wise, risk-taking students studying at Bible University can say, you know, this is what I believe and this is what I stand for but I'm going to lead with, with grace and not abdicate truth along the way. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth, not half of each. And sometimes, you know, all truth and no grace can be harsh, and all grace and no truth can be timid, and, 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 and Christ calls us to both. And this is what I want to see with these students at Biola University today, rising up as a generation with Firm Center, which is a commitment to truth, Soft edges, which is a commitment to grace. And I think therein is the power to make a difference in the world for the cause of Christ. Once again, Barry Corey's new book is titled Love Kindness, and you'll find links to both the print and audio versions at firstpersoninterview.com. This conversation with Dr. Barry Corey is the latest in this weekly series of interviews, all of which are online at firstpersoninterview.com. Stretching back several years now, you'll find a long list of programs you can download as a podcast through iTunes or by using our free app for both Apple and Android devices. Search for First Person Interview in your app store. And then we've set up a Facebook page where you can leave a comment. It's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. These interviews are made possible through cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company. Please take the time this week to learn more about FEBC and its goal of taking Christ to the world through radio and new technology. Visit firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, he turned from designing robots at NASA to making disciples in China. James Wong of FEBC joins us. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.